This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. One of the key pieces that is so beneficial for so many folks is filing what's called a consumer proposal when that debt is overwhelming. Let's talk about how the consumer proposal process works, Blair. And let's start with like just a very basic overview. Yeah, so what a consumer proposal is, is I consider it the most powerful but less, least well-known um, ability to restructure your finances. So in a nutshell, a consumer proposal will consolidate all your debts. So they'll put everything together and you have one payment that you need to make, but two really big improvements. So it will stop all future interest charges, so the debts stop moving away from you. And it reduces the amount you owe down to what you can afford. So in most cases, people pay back 30 to 50% of the debt that's outstanding with no further interest charges, no administrative fees, and they avoid filing for a bankruptcy. So it's an alternative to throwing up your hands and filing for bankruptcy. It's a compromise that allows you to restructure things down to one simple payment you make each month that's a better result for everybody involved. So I've come to you guys. I've got a, I've got a, a big debt that I want to get a hold of and deal with once and for all. I'm totally interested in the consumer proposal, doing one of those. How, how do we start that? So everything starts with an initial consultation. So we sit down in one of our 15 offices, we meet face-to-face, and we review the entire situation. So we try to understand three big categories of information. So we want to understand what are the debts. So is there a mortgage? Is there a car loan, income taxes, student loans, MasterCard, Visa, all those different types of debts we want to know in detail. And are you up to date on them? Are you missing payments? Is it your priority you know, to make the mortgage payment so you can keep the house? And is that compromising your ability to pay all the other debts? So we go into detail on all the debts. Uh, Then we kind of turn the page and we say, well, what are the assets? You know, are there certain things that you really need to protect? Are there RESP savings for the kids? Um, You know, is there a vehicle? Um, Are there RRSPs? Is there pension plans? We want to understand all the assets as well and see what's the the meshing. Is there, you know, more assets than debt? Or usually quite often there's very few assets and quite a bit of debt. So that's a situation where a proposal makes a whole lot of sense. Then we want to look towards the household budget. So we want to understand what's the income from every member of the household. Um, how stable is that income? Is it, you know, full-time T4 employment? Is it very seasonal, self-employed? That's going to matter depending on the types of options that are available to the person. So in the space of 45 minutes to an hour, we'll do an in-depth assessment of, you know, those three categories. And then we'll go into depth about what are the options that are available to you. You know, we'll talk about a bankruptcy. We'll talk about trying to pay everything off in full. Um, but for many people, it consumer proposal is a hugely attractive option um, because it avoids the bankruptcy and it gives you a payment that you can't afford. And I want to just reiterate that that's part of your first, your hour consultation, your first free hour consultation when you walk in the door. So we've decided I'm going to go with a consumer proposal. Mm-hmm. What do I, what do we do then? Yeah. So after the, the first meeting, so the first meeting you would walk out saying, okay, I know what my proposal payment will be. I know the information I have to give to my trustee to prepare the proposal and I've got some thinking to do. 
So generally we have a second meeting, you know, either a few days or maybe a week after the first meeting. And we sit down, we review everything again. We say, okay, you've got all the proof of the debts now. You've shown me your taxes. This is the proposal that you want to do. Yep, everything's good. We'll answer the questions. And then we'll go through and we'll sign proposal documents. From the day we sign the proposal documents, the individual is fully protected. No more collection calls, no more collection activities, no court actions, nothing else can happen other than the creditors have to consider the proposal that person has made. So let's say, for example, and this is, you know, numbers we deal with all the time, um, if it's a $30,000 amount of debt and we're offering a proposal for $10,000, for example, we'll put that proposal out to the creditors and we'll say, you know, it's $166 a month over 60 months. And then the creditors will vote to accept or reject that proposal. And I think this is an interesting point. We, you don't have to have 100% of your creditors on side. You just need 50% of the value, which I think is really an important piece. Elaine, you're sounding like an expert here. I love it. And, and, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. get this, I tell yeah. you. No, and that, that's a hugely important piece there too, because if you've got one creditor, whether it's a personal creditor or maybe it's even the government that's yelling and screaming and saying, hey, no way, no how will I ever accept any penny less than what you owe me, unless they've got 50% of your debt, They've got to go along for the ride in a consumer proposal. All we need is 50% by dollar value to say yes. So what happens when you file the proposal is there's a voting period. So there's 45 days from the day you sign the proposal where you don't make any payments and nothing can happen to you. All your creditors can do is decide, are they going to accept the proposal? Are they going to reject the proposal? Or are they going to counter offer? And if you can believe it, 95% of the time, they accept the proposal that you make. They're willing to accept 30%, 40%, 20% of the debt because the alternative, if they reject the proposal, is quite often the person will file for bankruptcy and they end up with nothing. Right. And, the, and this whole proposal gets registered as well, which I think is an important piece. I mean, that's, that's, where, that's where the benefit mm-hmm. of dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee. Exactly. So when you do a consumer proposal, it's under the authority of federal law, and the trustee has, the again, the authority to register the proposal to make it legally binding on all of your creditors. So there's nobody that can opt out and say they weren't informed or they don't want to participate. Federal law takes precedence over everything. Again, whether it's MSP, taxes, and uh, student loans or whatever, a consumer proposal can deal with everything. Now, there's also some nice counseling, and I say nice because I Mm -hmm. just think it's such a benefit, counseling sessions that get attached to this process once you enter it. Yeah, so the government requires, and definitely we endorse this as as trustees, that you get some counseling as you go through a consumer proposal. So it's more than just, you know, you're reducing the debt and that's that, and, you know, please don't do it again. Um, It's a case of we really want to dig in to understand, you know, what are the circumstances, financial and non-financial, that might have led to this situation. And that's really the focus of the first counseling session. And then we want to give you the tools during that session, you know, from a household budgeting point of view, to live within your means each month, to know when the warning signs are happening, to do a course correction now rather than, you know, three years from now when the debts might have accumulated. So, you know, one of the counseling sessions is all about giving you the tools and understanding what got you here. The second counseling session is all about your future. So how are you going to rebuild your credit? How are you going to make sure when all these offers of credit happen, are going to be offered to you in the future, that you're responsible, that you know know how to do things right in the future so it's one time you have to do a proposal. Right, because those other institutions are not going to let up. They still want your money. They still want you to hold their credit card. They still want you to buy this, this, and this. And it's so easy to purchase these days. And of course, that's not going to stop. Yeah, if you think, and this is a big, you know, 
fear that people have that if you're going to be untouchable because you've done a consumer proposal, there's a credit rating impact, or even if you've done a bankruptcy, you're untouchable. My God, the opposite is the case. The number of people I have coming through my door who have done a bankruptcy in the past or a proposal in the past and have managed to get into trouble again, (laughs) it happens. So, you know, and that's just the bad side of it. But many people are able to incur debt, no problem, incur mortgages again. It's not a life sentence just because you have to restructure your debts once. Right. And that's a really good point because sometimes folks think that, oh, you know, once I'm I'm done this, I'm clear and free. But no, if you haven't addressed kind of the things that got you into trouble or got you into this pickle to begin with, mm-hmm. then you haven't really resolved it. You may have paid off the debt, but boy, oh boy, that uh, whatever it is that that uh, that lets it makes you spend your money or or gets you excited investing in uh, is still going to be coming at you. Yeah. Very good. So here's the deal. If there's some pieces of what we've been talking about in this segment that really resonate with you, that you think, oh boy, maybe I should take a look at this, take a look at my situation seriously. Maybe I need a third party or or another party to to help me look at uh, where I am in terms of my budget and how I'm managing things when I I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed uh, with people wanting me to pay them back or the the creditors. Uh, Sans dash trustee.com is the website. You can book your free consultation. It's very painless. It'll probably be incredibly enlightening uh, that you've, you could never expect it to be as good as it's going to be in terms of understanding where you are right now and uh, give you an opportunity to start living that debt-free life. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. With us right now is Shannon. uh, And uh, it's a very special uh, piece that we're going to share with you with Shannon, her story. Uh, She was uh, able to successfully achieve a financial fresh fresh start uh, going through bankruptcy. Uh, Shannon, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really happy to just share my story and hopefully, you know, there's somebody out there who's listening who who can see a little bit of of themselves and and just hear my story today and just make a change and, and, and go for it. That's what I want to do is just help somebody out there. Oh, that, that's great, Jen. And, and again, we thank you for being courageous to do so. And I, I'm sure yeah. folks folks that are listening, um, you know, if it's not their situation, it's someone in their life is, is facing a debt challenge and any insight is going to be helpful. Exactly. Uh, so I wonder just from a background point of view, can you tell us about the situation that led to you having to file a personal bankruptcy? Sure. It was actually a specific um, series of events that led to, to kind of a, a buildup of debt quickly in my life. Um, I... I, I was 27. I had um, I had a divorce that started to kind of build up. Um, I kind of had to start from scratch, literally from scratch. So you know, I had to head out on my own, buy everything that I needed. Um, it was followed about eight months later by a major health crisis. Mm. I had organ failure, needed to have a transplant, wow. and um, and I was also self-employed at the time. So. You don't think at 27 it's going to happen to you, and that's a big thing. I was self-employed, and I didn't have insurance. So I ended up being um, going through a major health crisis, living on my credit line. I didn't want to reach out for help, and I had a lot of people offer help, but instead I I lived on a credit line for, you know, the pre-sickness and and then the the recovery. So it was about about a year that I, because I was self-employed, didn't have health insurance, I built debt 
debt built up for about, you know, a few months before my surgery. And then afterwards, I also, you know, didn't work for about almost a good year. So that was all on a credit line. And, um, so, so Shannon, you, you were obviously quite ill and, you know, medical care is one of the, the great parts of living in Canada, but it sounds like without, well, without this yeah. credit line, you would have had probably zero income coming in if you were self-employed without disability. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that coupled with the divorce that happened just before where I had to literally start from, you know, buying forks, knives, bedding, I had to build everything, um, you know, build up furniture, furnishings, um, I had to restart my life. So that and followed eight, seven months later by the, the illness, uh, it just, it was a very quick series of events that built debt up very quickly. Um, uh, so it was, it kind of all snowballed and I was doing well financially. So I'm like, no problem. It'll, it'll be very, it'll be building up quickly, but I, I got this. I can do this. Like you just figure you'll get back to work. Well. You'll clear the debt eventually. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I, I made good money. So I wasn't, I wasn't afraid. I was selling real estate at the time. I was not worried at all. And mm-hmm. I'd always done well for myself. I had perfect credit, R1 credit. Um, I was making good money and you know, I, I, I wasn't worried. I wasn't yeah. worried. But what happened is there was another hit that came, which was the, <laughs> the recession. So real estate recession, things kind of hit there as well, and nobody was buying houses. So this was a few years ago, but um, that was the final kick. And I, you know, I was, I got my life back, I got my house back, but I literally could not, my my career was ending. Like there was, we, we nobody was purchasing homes. We There was nothing I could do. It was just the, my career was ending. Um, and I was in a, uh, I wasn't living here. I was living in a different town at the time. And it was literally, um, my career was basically ending and there was not much I could do about it. So I, I tried for about two years to get out of that hole and I did ev- literally everything I could. I was working, I was delivering phone books. I was, doing little jobs on the side. I was doing absolutely everything I could think of to make my mortgage payments. I had real estate investments. I had two homes. I had um, payments. I was doing everything I could think of to get out of this hole. I was doing everything and it was starting to show up in my health. And this is where I really want to reach out to those people who are in that hole right now. I want you to listen to me. You know that that financial stress, it affects your health. It was affecting my health to the point where it was showing up in my blood work. My, my, my health was starting to decline very rapidly. So it was affecting my health to, to the point where my doctors were getting concerned. And, and I, you know, I was literally not physically capable of working to the extent that I needed to, to pay my bills. Um, and I, I just was like, what do I do? I was, I, I was losing sleep at night and I tried for two years to get out of that hole. Um, and then, and, and then Shannon, how long did it, what was the period of time when you, when you realized that you weren't, you, this was it, you were not going to yeah. be able to get yourself out of that. Two years. It was two, two years. years. Two years from when it started snowballing. And I'm like, no, I got this. And I, you know, I was proactive from the start. I, I still had been, I was very proactive. I'd let the creditors know 
what was happening. I returned to lease voluntarily when I'm like, okay, I got to start unloading stuff. I've got to lower my debt load. And I, um, I felt sick about the idea of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. This is going to, you know, a lot of people are going to understand that the quitting factor. But when it comes to that point where you, your health, and for me, it was literally getting to the point where, you know, I've been given the gift of life. I did not want to put that at risk. That was, that was it. But you know, when your life, when your health is at risk, you've really got to, and it's, you know, it comes down to your pride. A lot of people can relate to that. You don't want to quit. Mm-hmm. You don't want to quit. You don't want to give up. You don't want to feel like that. It was, it's ego. It really comes down to, to that. But I finally went, I reached out and I met with somebody and, you know, you don't want to feel like a quitter, but there are these, these systems are, are here for a reason. And I finally right. reached out. And when I finally did, I, I understood that there's these systems are there for us for a reason. And when I finally reached out and met with a trustee, I just, it all came off my shoulders. It was, it was so easy. And I understood, I finally understood the process and they literally, they took over and they did everything. And, you know, I was very proactive and I didn't have, you know, the creditors chasing me. I was very proactive, but I understand how hard it is to get to that point. But um, at this point, when once they did take over, I never had another. The, it all goes to them. Right. Nobody can legally call you after that. So that's what I really want people to understand is it's done. The second you reach out to somebody and you have a trustee, they legally cannot call you. People yeah, Jenna, cannot call you. You're you're saying things so, so perfectly. Um, I just yeah, to, yeah just to put a, a fine point this, on it. And as as you mentioned, you know, this is the law, right? You know, the, the government legal. the government yeah. created this law, and the actual wording for it is someone that's been honest but unfortunate. And the story that you you've recalled recounted to us here that that's you, right? You know, you yeah. you were honest the whole time. You had a series of unfortunate events, and isn't it great that Parliament created this law to get us, you know, a fresh start to get you back on track? It's a law. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. And, you know, what I've learned from this is that, I I mean, you do go through a process, you have to, you know, you got to do some, there is a process to it. Um, what I've learned from it, and I kind of did this anyways, but what I've learned is I've now, I, I have had a fresh start. Um, I've sold my, my homes, everything was sold. Um, and there's a whole process with that, I'm not going to get into it. But I now do everything, you know, I base everything on cash, that's my choice. However, I do want everybody to know that I'm two years post-bankruptcy. I own a home. I have a mortgage. I have a credit card. I am wow. back to R1 credit. Mm-hmm. I just did a, a Equifax. I pulled my credit. I'm back in the 700s. Wow. So I have a credit card from a legit credit card. I have a mortgage. I am back up there. Like There's yep. things you can do to rebuild your credit very quickly. There's little tricks you can do. You just need to be educated, proactive, and you can get there. You just need to reach out and do that. Um, and, and Shannon, know, that, that's just great insight because yes. to a person, everyone that comes in the door, they're so worried about their credit You're rating. Scared. And, I you know, it. off the top, they think bankruptcy takes seven years, which it doesn't. It, does it, it takes, you know, know, nine months or 21 months. And most people rebuild their credit two or three years after. So you're exactly proving, um, you know, the, the day-to-day reality. But most people have a conception that it's going to be so much worse and so much, you know, with a legacy yeah. of impact than is actually the case. And this is why I want to be on the radio today and reach out to everybody out there who's 
spouses or who's friends, if you know somebody, just explain what you're hearing today. It's not like that anymore. There's things you can do. You just need to make the call, go have a meeting, learn about it, educate yourself. It's very different. You just need to just, there's a couple points I want to make. You're not being a quitter. There's, there's, there's a reason they have this process. Things happen in life. And what I want to say, there's systems in place for a reason. We are human. We make mistakes. The thing is, just learn from it. Don't do this again. Things ha- it, As long as you can learn through this process and don't repeat it, it's okay. You can make a mistake. We don't, all, because you've gone bankrupt, it does not mean that you're a huge spendaholic spender. Maybe you were. Maybe you went through a phase. It's still okay. You're human. We all make mistakes. Maybe you've had what happened to me and you just had a snowball of events. It happens. But there's this process called bankruptcy for a reason. And, you know, credit cards, they make a lot of interest. They make a lot of money. This that this is why we can afford to go through a process called bankruptcy. This is why that system is in place. The government's done it for a reason to help people get a fresh start. And this is why I wanted to do this today is really to help explain my experience through it so people can understand how it truly works from my personal experience. I two years out and I'm a fresh start and I'm back in the real estate. I got a home, got a credit card. I run a business. It's successful. And I could get a loan if I wanted to, but I never know when my health is going to go sideways. So I've chosen to build it on cash. So I'm never in that situation again because that really sucked. But um, <laughs> I just, I really hope that somebody out there can hear this story today. That stress, I mean, I've gone through the dying process and it was awful, but financial stress was actually worse than what I experienced like going through the dying process. Financial stress was worse. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, who are experts in helping you get out of debt. We'll be back with more right after this. Talking with Barb Wallach on the phone right now. She has 33 years of experience in the financial industry as a personal personal financial planner. Welcome, Barb. Hi, I'm I'm glad to be there. Glad you're here. Um, One of the things that uh, I know that you're very uh, committed and dedicated to is about financial education and uh, for women, which of course is near and dear to my heart. Uh, How did you how did you how did you get there? How did you see that that was a really important niche to uh, to fill? Well, I found that over the years that uh, most of my client base would come in, there would be couples, but it would be the husband always doing the talking. And also, you know, if I didn't talk to the women, the women would be upset. So um, I found that there was a huge gap in that area. There's so many areas that women are different than men in that we often will hold ourselves back, maybe because we don't want to look like we don't know anything about financial planning or finances. You know, we live longer, you know, and, and often we don't get remarried again after we lose a spouse and in, I, in, in our older age. And I think it, it's an age thing, too, because if you started out uh, 30 years ago, uh, women then, because we're probably in a, in, a, in, in a similar age bracket, um, 
I didn't get any education about financial planning or money stuff in my in my home in the home I grew up in. That was my dad's responsibility, and uh, as in married life, it was like, oh, this thing, what? I don't, I'm, you know, like we just never got any information about it's it. So true. You know, I was very lucky that my dad showed me how to, you know, open my bank account, how to budget, how to deal with things like that. He was always there for me. But often, a lot of our money issues relate back to growing up. Absolutely. And our earliest money memories. And I do a lot of work around helping women in particular gain more confidence by letting go of the limiting decisions they've made somewhere along the way, usually in early childhood, about what money is and what it means. And quite interesting, at, a, at a, um, an event I was at recently trying to talk to women about you know, come, let's talk about financial planning and stuff like that. A majority of them walked by and said, oh, no, no, it's okay. My husband's handled that. And these oh, are women in their 40s yikes. and 30s. So I'm like, what? That's crazy. See, I would have expected that from women in, in my age group or your age group. But for young women to take that, mm-hmm. that position, that is surprising. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things is confidence. You know, we, we, there's a lot of material out there. To teach, people can take the responsibility to read a book, go on any of the websites. The banks have oodles of information. You know, Corey staff, our, our financial group, has a website with all kinds of information. So people can take the responsibility and take action to get the information, but what's stopping them? Yeah. And it's an underlying behavioral issue, and that's really my passion is the behavioral issue, is clearing that up. So that they feel more confident around, yeah, I can understand this. It's not just jargon. And I think that's probably maybe one of the biggest things out there, having worked in the banking system for so long, is that we use jargon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We use acronyms and we don't simplify it when we're speaking with our clients. Yeah, and if you don't have the wherewithal to ask, what what does that mean? you're kind of sunk right off the bat. Or, or you get fatigued after you've asked about the fifth acronym. You're like, okay, six and seven, we'll just let those go by. Exactly. Right? There's just too many out there. Uh, Barb, I'm wondering if, if you can focus a little bit on what are the two or three areas that you think people are often misinformed about? Um, so whether specific to, to women in, in particular or a broader sense, you know, I would say as a trustee, you know, people are pretty misinformed about debt and their options, but you've got a different perspective as, as you know, a financial planner here. What, what do you think is the big areas of misinformation? Um, good question. You know, it's true. You know, debt is, uh, is is big right now in Canada in particular. You know that. It's like $1.67 for every dollar of disposable income. So yeah, and it goes up all the time. It goes up all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I think people need, people in general just need to, uh, to rein that in. So as far as other areas of uh, people maybe not understanding things properly or not being told what things are is, the use of a tax-free savings account, hmm. right? A lot of people think that it's just a savings account. Yeah. When it's really, it's, it's very similar to an RRSP, where it's, it's a cupboard, and in there you can place in all kinds of different investments that will give you long-term growth that is sheltered. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. It took me the longest time to understand the tax-free savings account and all the things that you could put in it and the advantage of having one. I know I've, I spoke to lots of people when they first came out. What? No, I don't need that. I, I've already got a savings account. No, 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 you don't understand. This is a really important piece to know. This is a good thing. Exactly, exactly. And it's not too late to ever start saving, even if it's $10 a paycheck, if you're that stretched because you just get used to the idea of putting a little bit of money away and you see it grow. It makes you feel a little little bit better. You know, most savings plans that are long-term, you've got to do a minimum of $25 sort of a month. But, you know, even if it's in a high-interest savings account, put a little bit away each paycheck. Pay yourself first, always. And it's amazing how different you'll feel. Barbara, I'm wondering if one area you could comment on is sometimes when I see clients come in, I'm amazed at the myriad um, numbers and permutations of insurance that they, they've purchased. You know, sometimes it's balance protection insurance or mortgage insurance oh, or, you gosh. know, I can hear you have, you know, our life insurance or, or things like that. You know, it it just seems that, you know, you can buy insurance for everything. Is there is that something that you think there's there should be better understanding about what do you actually need and what's a good deal from an insurance point of view? Yeah, and that was actually one of the key points that I had written down to, to prepare for today. Oh, is that, <laughs> uh, Yeah, you know, insurance is really important, life insurance, to, to cover on an unexpected event that could be financially devastating. But there's a big difference between uh, creditor insurance that you can buy at a bank, on say, on your mortgage, versus owning your own insurance policy. And that really needs to be understood much, much better Also, too, I think people have to have a better understanding around insuring their biggest asset. And I'm not talking about your house. I'm talking about your ability to earn income. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Because nowadays we will get cancer, we will have heart attacks, we'll have diabetes, we'll have all these things happen to us, but we survive them. So, And then what? And then what? Yeah. You know, our our income, you know, we may not be able to go back to work in the same way. We may not want to go back to that type of, of work. We may have not have our job, but then where is the income going to be replaced from? You have to ensure that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and especially for someone that, you know, even if you're self-employed out there saying there's no way, well, there are ways, you know, if you work with the various financial planners, you can do, get disability insurance, even if you're self-employed. So mm-hmm. um, that's hugely important, Barb. And I, I like the phraseology that you're using here too, you know, the TFSA is like a cupboard, you know, okay, I can understand that that metaphor, you know, ensure your most important asset. Well, that's obviously yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the challenge that I think a lot of my clients have is when we start to use the jargon and the terminology, we make something complicated when the underlying concept is actually pretty simple. That is correct. Right. You know, and um, what was I going to say here is that, uh, it, and it doesn't have to be expensive. I think people think, oh, you know, it's really expensive to deal with somebody in these issues or, you know, a financial planner or get a plan done. You know, yes, we do get paid and there's many different ways we get paid, but it doesn't have to be expensive. And sometimes it's often free in, in a way. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> now, Barb's with an organization, and I didn't, I didn't add this when we introduced you, uh, Corey Staff Financial Group. And um, one of the cool things that this operation has is uh, something called Cocktails and Cash Financial Seminars for Women. Can you talk about those, Barb? Because that sounds really, really good. Yes, that is a way for us to really give back to the community um, and to provide fun and um, non-threatening ways to educate women. 
you know, we do a series. We do Taking Control, which is sort of a, a broad overview. We look at cash flow. Where is your cash going? You know, uh, Corey's an amazing presenter in that one. We do retirement planning. We do investing 101. And I've got a series coming out all around money mindset and overcoming your, your money blocks. So, And these are free events that happen you know, in the Vancouver area, we have one coming up fairly shortly, which you can find out on our website. Check the website, coreystaff.com. It's that's nice right. and easy. Mm-hmm. And that's Corey with two R's. That's right. Oh, good point. Yeah, because I first wrote it down with one R. Um, if, if there was one place for somebody to start with uh, that they have really haven't done much about uh financial planning at all other than they bring it a paycheck home once a month or twice a month and put it in the bank where would that be that would be go to go find a financial planner go find somebody that can sit down with you and help you put a plan in place to get organized to set up a system um go to coreystaff.com and call us up what are the key things for somebody to to uh, hear when they're talking to somebody before they come in or in their first initial consultation? What are the kinds of things that, that you talk to clients about right off the bat? For me, it's all about where are you right now? You know, what's, what's happening in your life right now that's not working? Where do you want to go? So what's your future goal and plan? What's it going to look like? And then we look at cash flow. The hard numbers. The on hard the paper. numbers. It's the hardest thing to look at, but often if we don't understand where where we're putting our money or where it's going, then we don't have any control over it. Hence, the reason our our uh, workshop is called Taking Control. Cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how much are we spending at Tim Hortons every month? Right. And, and adding those up, that was one of the hardest things I know I ever did was take a look at all my money that I'm, that I'm uh, not all my money, take a look at the money I'm spending on a month. And it is shocking if you've never gone through that experience. That's right. And, and creating, creating a plan with goals that are, the goals are so empowering that the person is really motivated to making that goal happen. So when they do go out to buy the $6 Starbucks coffee, they go, $6 coffee, or I'm going to achieve that dream vacation that I want to plan for. And then they'll think twice, maybe they'll get a, you know, just a plain coffee for $3. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's creating different uh, perspe- perceptions on how they view money. We'll be back with more right after this. We're going to talk about all the signs, and I have a feeling there's a bunch of them, that show up and tell us or tell you or tell me that you have a debt problem. So let's go through them. Um, Warning signs, I guess, is probably even the better way to describe them, Blair. Yeah, so there's definitely some of these, Elaine, that, you know, they're like, you know, a, a truck hitting you right down the street, a Mack truck, you'll know when this happens, right. where other of them are a little bit more subtle, you know, yes. maybe you've got a problem, but you need to look a little bit closely. So let's look at some really, some of the clear signs that, you know, this hits you right in the face. So first off, a wage garnishment. So what this means is in the province of BC, if you have a debt that you don't pay, 
creditors can sue you. And once they sue you, you know, it's not a criminal matter. You'll never go to court for owing money here. Um, but once they sue you, they get the power to go to your employer and seize up to 30 to 50% of your wages before they're ever paid to you. That's a lot. Huge. And that, and that would be the sort of the principle of your wage, right? That doesn't include the, the uh, deductions that you have. So mm-hmm. you're t- that's off the main bulk of it. Oh, yeah. Your, There's your gross wage and, you know, CPP, EI yeah. taxes. And then you would see garnishment or court action oh. or something like that. Um, again, if it's a, it's a, you know, a non-government debt, they've got to sue you first. You have a little bit of notice that it's going to happen. But if it's a government debt for income taxes or student loans, for example, you may have very little advance notice until suddenly your employer says, hey, I received this garnishee notice and I've got to comply with it. And therefore, your wages are going to be a lot smaller going forward. The tough thing with the garnishee is it's going to stay on until either you pay the debt off, you negotiate with them to get it removed, which is usually why would they remove it? They're getting their money every every week or every month. Um, or you sit down with a trustee and you file either a bankruptcy or a proposal. Both of those remedies stop garnishes dead in their tracks. So that's a really important thing to remember. What are the other uh, big red flags that we would get? Yeah. So along with seizing your wages, seizing assets is another thing that creditors can do once they've sued you. So they can go, if you've got money in a bank account, they can seize that bank account. More often, if you've got property where you know, it's not completely mortgaged, or maybe even if it is, um, your creditors can sue you and then register on title to your property. So that means that when the house is sold, they're entitled to get paid out. They're now another mortgage. Before you see a dollar from your house being sold, that creditor is going to have to get paid. Now, do, would I know if, if, my, uh, if a creditor has gone to my bank? Like, would my, is my bank under, under um, uh, is it fair for them to tell me or do they have to tell me or? Well, they, they tell you after the fact. After the fact. Oh, yeah. They don't tell you in advance. You know, because again, it's a, it's a sure. legal notice. They get it. They've got to comply with it. Got it. And then typically I've had clients say, yeah, and then the bank manager called me and told me what happened. And got it. Okay. So there's no advance notice, It's which makes sense because otherwise I just take the money out that you count. But, well, and, yeah. and you know, you're, you're not completely wrong there because right. if someone comes in and, and we see them and they say, okay, you've just been sued, but they haven't seized anything yet, then I would be saying, okay, you probably don't want to have money in the bank as of now because that's going to be gone. Okay. So while you try to figure things out, you know, maybe you need a different bank account or just do something to protect your assets because after you've been sued, it's either income through your wages or it's assets through money in the bank or your house or things like that that, that potentially become at risk. Okay. Well, what are the other red flags? I know we got a couple more. Yeah, well, a couple things, you know, collection calls or collection letters. Um, you know, obviously when you stop paying people, they start to get collectors involved. If you're getting multiple collection calls in a day from multiple different organizations, usually a pretty big warning sign that, you know, these folks want you to do something that you're just not able to do. Nobody enjoys these calls. So you'd put an end to them if you could pay. You can't, and that's why they're calling you. And they are relentless. Absolutely. Quite often what happens is that the collection agents, and some of them are our clients as well, they're not well paid paid and often not well trained, but often they're paid on commission. And you can imagine if you've got someone who's not making a whole lot of money, who's not that well trained, they will often say just about anything, whether it's legal, true or not, to try to get some payments out because they make a commission that way. So it's a very distasteful model. It doesn't speak to, you know, ethics or or things like that in a very high way. Right. It's about getting the money and getting it it. any way they can. And uh, what's the the last one? Or no, there's a couple more. Yeah. Well, you know, a couple other things is, you know, just the threats of the things that we've talked about. So, you know, quite often before you're sued, you'll receive, you know, umpteen numbers of notices saying draft statement of claim, or we will sue you unless you act, you know, take some action. So don't ignore that stuff. That's usually telling you, hey, some more action is coming down the pike here to be aware of. 
um, you know, quite often a very simple one is just, are you bouncing payments? You know, mm. you know, we tend to use a lot fewer checks than we used to, but you know, if suddenly, you know, if you're taking money from an account where you know it's not going to be to be there to cover it and the check's going to bounce and that's happening on a regular basis, or even if you're just into your overdraft all the time, it's again, it's a bit of a warning sign that, you know, perhaps you're, you're not managing the burden that you've got in a way that's going to get you out of debt. And I know, uh, I know that others would fall into this category as well, but the idea that things will just kind of take care of themselves, I, mm-hmm. I think I'd be one of those people, and, yeah. and that's not necessarily the, the best, the best uh, uh, action to take. No, and the great thing, as I've said many times, with debt problems is they can all be solved but none of them solve themselves. Mm. You know, it's not going to get better on its own. You need to actually take some steps to get some help to, to move forward. But, you know, there is a happy ending at the end of the day. You can get out of debt, but if you do nothing, all you'll get is more collection calls, perhaps more threats of lawsuits, and then eventually wage seizures or asset seizures. And, we, and we've talked about this in other segments as well. The stress level that comes along with it is just, it's just crazy. Yeah, and it's usually... For most people, it's around two years. So it's two wow. years from when they know they've gotten some of these, you know, big warning signs to when they walk through the door of a trustee's office. And usually they walk out the door with a big exhale saying, you know, why didn't I come sooner? Why yeah. didn't I make myself aware of what's available to me? This is Canadian law. The government put it there for people to use. But the challenge is people don't know about it until, you know, they're facing the situation. And quite often they flail about for two years. And one thing I say when I, when I introduce you and introduce the show, we talk about that free consultation. And it literally is a free consultation. Mm -hmm. So if any of these things sort of ring a little bell in your head, go, hmm, I think, yeah, that that sort of pertains to me a little bit. The free consultation is just such a a great way to to see if if you're at that stage yet that you Mm -hmm. really need to take action. Yeah, it's free and it's confidential. You know, if someone's really concerned, I'll say, I'm going to take notes just so I know what we've talked about, but you can take my notes with you. I I don't mind, okay? This is about you figuring out your options, figuring out what's the best for you to try to move forward. I've never met with anybody who knew exactly everything I was going to say. Sure. You know, and almost everybody learns at least something about credit rebuilding, but quite often they learn that they've got options. They learn that they can actually flip the power dynamic here and not be the person being yelled at by the collection agents. They can be the person that says, hey, I could have went bankrupt and you guys might have gotten very little. Here's a proposal. Here's something honorable that I can pay back. That's a reasonable compromise. Here's what I can do. So it's when they start working with the trustee, suddenly they put themselves back in the driver's seat. Right. What other kinds of things might compound those problems? I mean, those problems sound worse enough, but there yeah. are things that can make them worse. Oh, definitely. There, there's a way to enlarge just about any problem, and there are some <laughs> things you, you can do to make your debt problem worse. Um, an easy one is by getting a cosigner. So mm-hmm. if you said, hey, I've got all this debt right now, let's, you know, put mom, dad, or brother or sister, you know, also on the hook here so that they'll give me better payment terms. All you've done now is make your debt problem someone else's debt problem. Because if somebody co-signs, they're on the hook for 100% of the difference, sorry, 100% of what the debt is. And if you end up having to file a bankruptcy or a proposal and you end up writing the debts off, you know, maybe you pay back a third of it. If you've gotten a co-signer, that person's going to have to pay back the balance. Yeah. So you've just removed the whole benefit of you doing a proposal by enlarging, giving them another pocket to dig into. So a cosigner is almost always a bad idea. Even if the cosigner, because you know that there's people in in our our circle that would just go bend over backwards to give you a hand. Mm-hmm. Everybody has them, but it's it's almost like the worst thing that you can do. Right. Yeah. The better thing to do if someone wants to give you a hand is 
help you to meet with a trustee, help you to make a consumer proposal. And if you have trouble with the payments on the proposal, that's the time to help you, help you with the debt repayment plan. Don't help you give 100% of the debt back to the creditors where they'd have no other way of getting that money back unless you were the co-signer. That's a really good point that you could actually, if you really wanted to help somebody, help in that debt repayment. Exactly. Help them pay off the proposal sooner, rebuild their credit, whatever you choose to do. Definitely help them pay off the 30%, not pay off the 100%. You know, again, if eyes wide open, you choose to do so for a moral obligation, that's fine, but just make sure the eyes are wide open. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I just love to throw in, it's such an important piece that people don't think about, uh, is when you think, oh, I'm just going to just sort of cash in my RRSPs yeah. and, and do and help and help that way. And you don't have to with a consumer proposal. Yeah, absolutely. Even with the bankruptcy, Elaine, even if you said, hey, I have way more debt, I can't even afford to do a consumer proposal, you will keep dollar for dollar what's in your RRSPs when you started the bankruptcy. The only carve out is if you've made contributions in the 12 months before you filed a bankruptcy or a proposal, that money is potentially at risk, but that makes sense. You know, if a year before bankruptcy, you're putting $40,000 into your RRSPs, RSPs and you owed $40,000 when you went bankrupt, probably the right answer was to pay off the debt instead of the RRSPs. Got it. But for the vast majority of people, that RRSP is going to be safe. You'll come through still with your retirement intact. So it's a huge mistake to start cashing in RRSPs to pay off your debts. Okay. And as we sort of wrap up this segment, um, are there some subtle financial warning signs that we could be aware of? Well, a real good one that I like is just looking at your statements each month, looking at the minimum payments, and then sometimes you've got to scour, but it is there because it has to be there by law, is the notation that says, if you make only the minimum payments, here's how long it's going to take you to pay off those debts. And that's a new rule for credit yeah. card companies. Yeah, just in the last few years. Yeah. And so I see people coming through my door 150 years, 160 years, even if it's showing you 20 or 30 years, that's important because quite often people realize, hey, all I'm paying is the minimum. So much of that is just going to interest. The principal is going down so minutely every month. I'm really just treading water and even drowning a little bit. So look closely at the statements, know of what you're paying, how much is reducing the principal and how much is going to interest and really see if you're going to get out of debt doing what you're doing. It's almost a laughable thing for a credit card company. I know that they have to state that, how long it would take. But really, I mean, it's just absurd 150 years, right? Oh, yeah, it it would never happen. (laughs) Right. No, of course not. But I mean, like that, that, that they even think that that's okay to put, you know, like it just seems it's uh, oh, heartless, <laughs> heartless, I say. Okay, other subtle uh, warning signs that we could be uh, we could be aware of? Well, a, a regular one that, that we see is just, you know, either living without a budget or if you've got a budget, every single month it's overspent. So if you find that there's some gap between, you know, your income each month and, you know, there's more month left than money at the end, at the end of the month there, your money's just not lasting, really take a hard look at the budget. If you're overspending just because of all the debt payments, okay, we, we can help with that. Um, but if you're overspending just from a structural thing that your, your, you know, rent is too high or groceries are too high, it could be a tougher decision you need to make. And for more information on this or any of the things that we've talked about in this segment, sands-trustee.com is the website, or you can call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980. 
CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.